And welcome to the Thinking Pilates podcast. It has become increasingly clear that human beings do not thrive alone. We share the common ground of the Pilates method and the fact that in some way, our lives have been influenced and propelled in one direction or another by that association. We come together in spite of forces that would keep us apart because we care deeply. We care too much to allow our fear of inadequacy, unworthiness, or being recognized as less than constantly awesome to stop us from sharing with one another the brilliant expression of our love and passion for what we do, our bloody beating hearts, and creative minds and spirit. Again, welcome to the Thinking Pilates podcast, where we are having rich and sometimes way out there conversations about what is interesting and meaningful to our community. I'm Deborah Colway. And I am joined in this endeavor by Chantel Lopez and James Crater. The podcast is a passion project and also a lot of work, particularly for Chantel, who is the founder and our ringleader. When she first asked me to join her, I didn't even know what a podcast was. Now, words like SoundCloud, iTunes, and Facebook roll easily off my tongue. So if you want to help us thrive and grow beyond just listening, let the world know what you think. You can leave us a review on iTunes or like our Facebook page, Thinking Pilates Podcast. Your comments and shares of the episodes you like best are valuable and much appreciated. We help keep the conversations alive. After the show, we'll give you some more details about how to connect with each of us and more about what we're up to individually. A quick warning, in our enthusiasm, we and our guests have been known to use a naughty word or two. We hope you won't mind too much and love all the words in between too much to care. And so, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, everybody. It's another Thinking Pilates podcast, and this is Chantel. So Deborah and I are here together, and that is a really exciting occasion because we haven't had the opportunity to come back to just the two of us hosting for this season yet. So here we are. And Deborah has invited a sweet, wonderful teacher um, that she's known for quite some time who has a wonderful story, um, a rich story, I think I would probably say from what I know so far, uh, to join us. Heather Crosby. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. From all the way across the country, uh, Heather is a Pilates teacher from the Cape, and um, Deborah is going to just take the reins here. So we're going to dive in, and Deborah is going to tell you all the things that you need to know, and then there we are, off and away. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Chantel. Yes, it's Deborah, and I'm really happy to be here today with you, Chantel, and also my dear friend, Heather Crosby. Uh, I met Heather when she came to Boulder to uh, join the Pilates Center's teacher training program somewhere 2002 into 2003. And um, I'm not really sure how our friendship really started other than uh, we became friends pretty quickly. I I'm also from the East Coast and um, oftentimes get homesick for hearing people speak with a certain accent. And Heather just uh, (laughs) nourishes my soul when she speaks. And so I wanted to hang around her as much as I could so that I could just listen to her talk. Um, We uh, had the opportunity to to stay in touch after Heather graduated from the program, uh, given that I would tend to go back East to New England. And we have a family home on Cape Cod also. also. So that I would uh, have the opportunity to go there and visit. And Heather invited me to come teach at her studio a couple of times. And um, that was really wonderful. This past summer, um, we were actually walking on the beach at the Cape. And um, 
I started telling Heather about you, Chantel, and the podcast. And as we were talking, I thought, well, here's a perfect guest for our podcast and, and an excellent opportunity for me to um, talk about some of the things that I always like to talk about and and also just to introduce people to Heather, which is, uh, it, it makes me really, really happy. So, um, hi, Heather. Hi. <laughs> um, I think that uh, one of the things that is particularly interesting is that, um, you know, we've been talking so much lately about this uh, question of classical Pilates, contemporary Pilates, the new generation of teachers coming up, etc. And um, I think Heather has a really great story to share with regard to her teacher, Romana, who many of us know, many of us don't know personally, but have certainly heard an awful lot about. And um, I think, as I said, Heather has kind of a rare, a rare story to share with her relationship to Romana. And so maybe the way that we'll just get started, if it's all right with you, Heather, is to introduce yourself a little bit. Um, I would like to ask you specifically how you ended up going to Romana for Pilates. Uh, within that, obviously, what was that experience like for you? And um, as a segue into that, of course, I would ask you to share as much of your personal story as as you feel comfortable with and, and you think is relevant and you would like. Okay. So I, you know, originally you had asked me, how did I get to Ramana? And I put a lot of thought into that. And I thought it was a yellow brick road, mm -hmm. flying monkeys, evil witches, a tin man with no heart, the whole shebang. Um, really, when I was two and a half, I was diagnosed with hypophosphatemic rickets so my kidneys reject vitamin D and phosphorus, which my body then metabolizes or makes soft or porous bones. So as I grew, visibly, I had really bowed legs and I was short in stature. So there's other symptoms to it. They just weren't visible symptoms. So deep in my soul, I thought I was supposed to be a jockey. I <laughs> thought that's that, you know, the universe said, Heather, you're meant to be a jockey. But at the time, it was um, in the 70s, and my parents brought me to Western doctors because that's what you did as good parents. You brought your kid in, and you had them checked, and their treatment for the disease, they didn't know that much about it. So their treatment for it was, I would say, somewhat experimental. So they were using um, really high levels of vitamin D and phosphorus. They brought me into the hospital. They did nasal gastric tubes. And they pumped me full of it for 12 or 24 hours. And as soon as they took the tubes out, I had lost all of it because my body had rejected it all. So their hopes were that they were going to give me these high levels of vitamin D and phosphorus and that my body would somehow absorb it and that I would build, you know, solid bone. But my kidneys rejecting it, it, was, it just wasn't happening. So this approach didn't work. And at nine, um, I had an orthopedic surgeon come into the picture and said, you know, because of the Boeing, we're going to break her legs. We're going to do osteotomies, is what they call them. And they break the bones. They'll take out a little wedge and they'll rotate it or spin it to try to um, reshape the bones so that the bones will grow more straight or more in alignment. And when they approached me with this idea, I was, I was young, I was eight or nine, really in my, you know, a lot of people talk about this little voice inside. For me, my voice is not little at all. My, my spirit is tenacious and it comes out screaming that everything my soul said, this is totally against my instinct. And I said to the doctors, why wouldn't you work with the muscles and they could pull and work on the bones and they would be able to straighten the bones if you gave me specific exercises. And they looked at me and said, well, what would you know? You're just a kid. Mm. So dismissed it. So I went through this sort of be, you know, um, medicine for, for about six years from nine till 15. And at that point, every year I was going in and having my legs broken. They oh, first, God. oh yeah. They first started with um, pins 
Then they went to plates and screws. And the last thing that they did was they took titanium rods and they put the rods straight down the core of the femur. So at 15, I couldn't take it anymore. I just started to rebel against all the treatment. I would literally run away when I was at doctor's appointments. I would like leave the room and just run. And so I decided Western medicine was not cutting it. And at that time, my mom said, you know, there's anything I can do. She's 15. So she left me alone. And I had always had a really great relationship with animals. I was drawn to them from when I was very young. So I started to um, you know, study them and study their health and study the confirmation of horses and their movement. And I became obsessed with it. And at 20, I was working for a large animal veterinarian and I was going to um, pre-veterinary school. And I thought, I am going to be a jockey or I'm going to be a veterinarian. I'm going to take care of animals because they're amazing. I love them. I trust them much more than I trust humans. Mm. So I was, I was riding um, and I couldn't, at about 20, I couldn't sit. I, one day I went out to, to ride and I couldn't sit flush down in the saddle. And I couldn't figure out, you know, it was literally like, my, the hip was restricted. It was like I hit a door jam. It just stopped. So I got off the horse and I went to the veterinarian that I worked for and she refused to take me as a client. <laughs> so, so I asked her for a referral and she had, um, her daughter had actually broken her arm and she had this great surgeon that she knew and she referred me to him and he was wonderful. And I went and met with him and he showed me what was happening. He took the x-rays and he put them up on the screen and he said, the bowing in your legs, when they put those titanium rods down into the femur, the, there was a little bit of bowing down towards the knee and they couldn't get the rod all the way down. Now, rewind back when the surgery was actually happening. They had me under anesthesia for like 17 hours. They collapsed my lungs. You know, there were things that were happening that they had to close me up and get me out of there. And um, so they never, they never got the rod completely down. So it was sticking out at the top of the femur by two inches. So at 20, it had been sticking out for, you know, eight years or so. So, but there was a bone, bone growth that grew over it. And now it was literally just stopping, just completely stopping abduction. So I decided I needed to go in and have this taken care of. And the surgeon, he had, he was much more in alignment with my beliefs. Um, I, he didn't cast me back when I was a kid. They put me in body casts and the, the limited range of motion, uh, you know, not being able to move around and then being totally immobilized was really um, difficult. It made it, you know, did not, it was not a good healing environment. So this doctor decided I said, look, you can do the surgery, but you've got to do me one favor. You can't immobilize me. I just can't, I can't take it. Mm. And he said, I promise, well, if you won't put any weight on it, I won't cast you. And so he didn't, he did have to put an external fixator, which is one of those halos, which mm. I didn't like, but, um, you know, he really did try to do the best for me that he could. And he took out the metal, he repaired the leg and sent me on my way. So I had some time to think. And when I sat down and I really thought about what I wanted to do, I reflected back. I thought, I need to, I'm not going to be promoted to be a vet, veterinarian from being a tech. I'm in, you know, the pre-veterinary program. So now how am I going to get to become a veterinarian? And I had this opportunity to come out to Boulder, Colorado and I said, well, there's um, a massage school there, and I could go to massage school, spend the year, get in-state tuition, and go to veterinary school at CSU. So in September of 1995, after I had healed from my leg, I packed it up and moved out to Boulder. And I went to the Boulder School of Massage Therapy, and that changed everything for me. <laughs> because I learned about so many different types of healing modalities. You know, I learned about... Shiatsu, Reiki, Feldenkrais, Rolfing, Lomi Lomi, meditation, you name it. And this was the first time in my life that I'd ever heard of anybody other than myself who had rickets, a man named Joseph Pilates. <laughs> 
So oddly enough, this is, this is kind of bizarre. My roommate at the time, her brother came from Boston out for a visit and he had met this girl and they were sort of you know, hanging out a little bit. And at the time I signed up for a six week um, Pilates mat class at the rec center in Boulder. And I showed up to take the class and lo and behold, it was the girl that my roommate's brother just met. <laughs> and so she and I went and it's, it was Marissa from the Magic Circle poster, Deborah. In the oh, wow. Center. So she and I went and we had coffee. Well, first of all, I took the class and I watched her do tree on the mat and I was completely hooked. I thought it was magic. They was doing some sort of magic trick and I had to know what it was all about. I was totally fascinated. <laughs> so we went out, we had coffee and she explained some of the lineage, which I didn't understand at the time and some of the politics about it. And this was before the copyright was done away with and everything. So the day after I graduated from massage school, I walked into the Pilates Center in Boulder to acquire, inquire about the training program. And I was starting veterinary school. This is in September. So I was starting veterinary school in January. So I had three months. And so when I went in and I saw how intensive a program it was and what I needed to do, I said, I think I'll put this on the back burner for now. <laughs> so it sat on the back burner and I continued down the yellow brick road. <laughs> And I went up to CSU. I started uh, veterinary school. It was going great. And in the spring of 1997, I was having all kinds of trouble with my thyroid, which was, again, I did not know this, but it was another effect of this original hypophosphatemic rickets. So my heart rate wouldn't go below 200 at rest. So I needed to deal with that. So I went back to Boston to go see my endocrinologist who did radioactive iodine. And then I also, at the, I was having some more trouble with the other leg. I had still plates in that leg. And I went to see that cert, the last surgeon I had seen. And he said, look, why don't we take out all the metal? He said, I would break this leg one more, one more time, fix it, get it straight and set you on your way. And I said, all right. Mm. So at 27, I had the leg broken. He broke it in four places. And I had some, you know, some time to sit around again and think. And I said, well, now really I should get a job and make <laughs> some money. And I'm 27 and this is just crazy. So I went to Boston and I got a job in accounting. And I spent the next year and a half in this really great physical therapy place where they hooked me up to machines to measure the output of the muscles and they put me on the treadmill backwards and sideways and they really were doing a great job but I could not get the last 15 degrees of extension from my leg so I was swimming with long fins and I got shin splints mm -hmm. so I was I started having more and more pain I was, I developed heel spurs and the shin splints and it got to a point where I didn't even want to put my feet on the ground anymore. So I was totally depressed and I was totally desperate. And then I remembered Pilates. <laughs> so I went out and I got Brooke Seiler's The Pilates Body Book, which- Oh my God, that was my first Pilates it's, book. It's my Bible. It's my Bible. <laughs> Thank you, Brooke Seiler. It is my Bible. Um, and I looked in the back and I knew that Pilates originated out in New York because of that conversation that I had had with, with Magic Circle Marissa. <laughs> and so I called rehab and I, they said, because of your health history, Ramana would want to see you. And I thought, what the, I, don't, I don't know what, I don't think that they know. I'm, I'm nobody. She's not going to want to see me. And so I called Drago's and I thought I'm going to get the brush off, you know, and I called and Drago gave me an appointment on my 29th birthday, mm. which for any of you astrology geeks out there was my Saturn return. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> which happened to be September 13th of 2001. So we all know what happened on September 11th of that year. So I, it was two days before my appointment and I'm sitting in my living room and I'm thinking, I finally found somebody who knows 
something about this disease. They've treated, he never had surgery. And I, and the world is going to end. I'm watching it end in front of me. This pretty much sums up my life. So I called Drago in terror and he assured me they were there and that that Ramon would see me the following week. Just come in. So the following week, I drove from the Cape to Boston. I went to New Haven, Connecticut, and I took the train to Grand Central, put my air cast on, and I hoofed it to West 57th. Wow. Yeah. When I got there, I took off my cast, and I handed my x-rays to Ramana, who promptly put them to the side and told me to get on the reformer and see what I could do. So, which was, anyone that knows her would love that, because that was totally her personality. And on my third session with her, I had full range of motion back in my leg, and I knew instinctively this was my answer. It just felt right. Finally. Something. So every Tuesday at noon for the next two years, I made that journey. I would have done anything, she told me. She gave me the mat exercises, and I went home, and I took my stirrup leather off my saddle, strapped it to my massage table, and I started to practice the mat routine every day. And I'd go back every week, and I'd get a little stronger, and I'd be in a little bit less pain. So at about a year and a half or so, I said, okay, I'm either going to have to teach this or I'm going to have to find a sugar daddy because I can't do this. <laughs> so I invited her to lunch and I asked her permission to become a teacher. And we had a really, really lovely time where she shared with me on a personal level and she gave me her blessing. And in January of 2002 is when I began my journey to become a Pilates teacher through the Pilates Center in Boulder. And that's where I met Deborah and Amy and Rachel and a bunch of other amazing teachers. So one final thing you asked me, why Ramana? Kismet. That's why. Yep. Well, I, I love this story. <laughs> And I, um, and I too, you know, I've told my story of how I met Romana in New York after having started to teach by myself out here in Colorado. And I pretended I was not a teacher when I went to see her. And, <laughs> um, you know, she invited me into that, that back room and told me stories and was so wonderful and generous. And I think, you know, not that many people, you said those of you who know Romana would know this, but, uh, I think that uh, not that many people at this point know that side of Ramana. Um, And so I really, I thank you for sharing that. And um, one of the other things that you mentioned uh, when you spoke to me was just that you, you know, you literally just did whatever she told you to do. You didn't question it, which at the time kind of, you know, was a bit of a, um, an interesting dichotomy from, you know, your, your personality or the way that you'd been, you know, before that. And uh, one of the things that you and I have talked about a lot is how you got from that point to obviously becoming the teacher that you are now and um, what your philosophy of teaching in general is and um, how you, what would you say though, in terms of how you reconciled that you allowed Ramana to teach you the way she did at the start, why you felt it was so important? You didn't um, tell us too much about that yet. If you still would like to, uh, the style with which she taught you mm-hmm. and then how you've grown your own style and philosophy of teaching. Um, obviously your entire life and teaching experiences have shaped and formed you Uh, for the perspective that you now have uh, but would but I know that you would say that how Ramana taught you at the beginning was a particular way and you allowed her to be with you in a particular way but that isn't necessarily how you how you find yourself teaching today I don't know if if you can tell us a little bit about that so when I went 
into the studio to work with Ramana, I had, you know, seen very little. I did the mat, the mat series. I had never done any of the apparatus. And I knew that she had a connection to somebody who had the same disease. Well, he didn't have the exact same. He had, I think, probably vitamin D deficient, which nutrition and sunlight can help that. But I do believe that he had bowed legs and he did correct that. And I do know um, of other people who have had bowed legs, like um, I don't want to be calling everybody out, but um, Jerome had bowed legs and she pulled him over one day and said, let her see your legs. So, you know, she understood where I was coming from. When I was at the studio with Hermana, she, I followed literally every direction that she said. I didn't question it because in my mind, she knew more than anybody else that I knew of. Mm-hmm. And she worked with, within a framework that was non-invasive and that was non-offensive to the body. So it couldn't have been any worse than I'd already been through. It was, you know, no way. I mean, no teaser in the world can compare to having your femur broken, (laughs) you know? So, I mean, I would do, you know, the mat work, I would do the the reformer. Now I think back and I think, wow, that was a lot in one lesson. (laughs) You know, I teach a different style for myself because I understand the body. Ramana understood movement. She understood that the flow that you needed to just keep moving sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think I allowed, I, I didn't, I didn't also, I didn't know any better. I didn't have any other teachers other than her. Um, mm-hmm. And she was, in my opinion, one of the only people, she was the, one of the closest to the source. So mm-hmm. I was taking it as close to the source as I could get it so that I could get the best information and the best advice that I could. Some of these things, it's a little tricky because um, I I just, I live in here. I I don't know how to describe it any other way, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you had asked about my my philosophy of teaching now. Mm -hmm. And I I will say this one little tidbit about, I will say this one little tidbit about Romana. (laughs) One day when I was in in there and um, Somebody had met, maybe mentioned, you know, they were talking and they said something about, oh, my tight hip or so as. She said, so as, schmo as, get on the reformer and move. Yeah. <laughs> that was her personality. Yeah. Um, I and you have more of that. Well, there's that like. Make me happy. So there's, People love stories. People do love the stories. I know. I don't I mean know this, they do. I don't mean the story. I'm, I don't mean I'm craving the stories. I mean, they're sweet, but I just mean that approach, right? We have, we have over-engineered our entire approach to the body, I think. Um, and in that play, this, that, that, what you're saying, Chantel, plays into something else that Deborah had asked me, um, which again, was going to come in a little bit later about that, that, that yin yang, that piece, that, you know, that balance of both masculine and feminine that, you know, Rana had a very strong way about her and Pilates had a very strong way about him. And I think when you study with a teacher, like for Ramana studying with Pilates, she was, she was a ballerina. She got a certain portion of him. And when you look at, like, you know, I've studied with other people that have studied with Ramana, and I've also studied with other people that have studied with Pilates. And so when you do that, it's almost like you're looking through a window and their view of Pilates. Mm -hmm. And what I really love is that I have spent a lot of my training trying to get a bigger picture, a bigger view of him by introducing and working with other people that have studied with him or studied with Ramana just to get a fuller picture a bigger picture because there is there there is a place for 
you know, really breaking it down and getting people to do it right. And then there is a place for people to get it moving, mm-hmm. you know? So those two pieces have to be married together. And right. so, so my, my philosophy of teaching, actually, you're going to love this, Deborah. <laughs> so I'm just going to read a little something to you. Okay. Contrology is the complete coordination of body, mind, and spirit. Through contrology, you first purposefully acquire complete control of your own body, and then through proper repetition of its exercises, you gradually and progressively acquire that natural rhythm and coordination associated with all your subconscious activities. This true rhythm and control is observed both in domestic pets and wild animals without known exception. My philosophy of teaching is that the physical body is a vessel housing a spirit. In order to obtain wholeness, the spirit being fully alive in the body, we must be in a harmonious, loving relationship with the body. Like a horse and a rider have an unspoken connection. My job is to aid that spirit to inhabit the body, to teach my students to move within that body and have control over it. Pilates called his work Contrology, and I understand why. If a student is alive and driving the vessel, my role is an artist. If a student is in pain or has injury, I'm a translator or an interpreter. Mm. I'm a teacher and a guide. And finally, my veterinary medicine has not gone in vain. I am a large animal wrangler. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Oh, that's great. Well, yeah. I mean, just keep talking, Heather. It's not, there's no script. You said you and I have had wonderful conversation and we've brought up a lot of topics, but please don't feel like you have to wait for me to ask you a particular question. Uh huh. Uh, you know, in order to just be with us today and, and, and share, um, I did, we did have that conversation of, you know, what, are we a teacher? Are we an instructor? Are we a facilitator? Are we a guide? One of the things that, um, you know, is, is not something that we're going to get to a, a finite conclusion on, but, you know, we enjoyed having the conversation and Chantil and James and I have talked about this too, is, you know, what is that? Um, we have, we, we, we have a mission or a, a desire to support people, you know, in, in becoming more autonomous, you might say, or, you know, the, the, the vessel for their, for their spirit or, you know, however we want to say it. And uh, one of the things that you and I have talked about too is how, what is that when you're comparing it with working within a, a system or a, or a method that requires us to do a lot of instructing and um, just how you do work with your students, the people that come into your studio. Um, Do you have various uh, styles of of teaching? Do you do all private lessons? Do you ever do any groups? How how do you um, work with students differently depending on those, those different things that you mentioned? So uh, for me personally, I, I, do te- I do teach privates and I do teach groups and I do small groups. I don't do, and I would do, uh, you know, if they had a lot of body awareness, if it was an artist class, then there could be as many people that you could have in the class. But when you're working with people who aren't really inhabiting the body and they, it's like they're fumbling around in the dark then, you know, you have to sort of be a little bit more cautious with them. So I tend to think of, I tend to think of my students as, I don't want to say, well, I guess children. Some of them are at the infant stages. Some of them are at the toddler stages. Some of them are at their adolescence. And Mm. some of them are really driving. They're really living in their bodies. They're really in control. And when people are at different places, you can't expect them to, you can't force them 
to be all together. So I try to keep it where that I have, you know, groups that are leveled and they know what level they're at. Um, and if they, you know, need more private attention or more, something more personal, then we'll work on that in a, in their, in their private lesson. And what I'm finding is that instead of just having, um, like a, Pilates studio or fitness place people come and do this it's really um, a community place where people come and have experiences I I love that I feel like it Heather that's so powerful and also really telling of your teaching philosophy I mean just reflecting some of the things that you've already said but the idea that it's a place where people come and have experiences, I think is, is not how many of us see what we do, right? Is not just facilitating an experience. And, you know, you said earlier that it is really this, you know, there's a place for both of these things, right? Where we teach the flow and the kind kind of like being present in the moment and, and moving fluidly so that we're not over-engineering. And then the, of course there are moments where really breaking it down and, and pulling the pieces apart and, and exploring in a more detailed way is necessary. So it's both of those things though happen, I think can happen in a way that, that we hold the priority no matter what as like cultivating a space for experiencing ourselves in our body. And I just think that's, that's really like, that's kind of a big deal to me. It feels like what you're saying. Mm -hmm. The most important thing for us to do is teach the people to fish. We can't feed them forever. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So they need to know their own body. They need to, you know, I have a really great, I can I can give you an example. I have a really fantastic story. I actually saw her today and asked her permission to tell the story. I have a student who's been my student for about seven years, and over the time, she's really learned her she's really learned her body. And last year, she had um, a labral tear in her hip, mm. and she had the surgery and she had it repaired, and she was going along great. And all of a sudden, she started to get pain in the other hip. So she went to the doctor, and they referred her to the other doctor, and they sent her to the this and that. And nobody would give her an MRI on her her hip. And she said, look, I I really would like an MRI on my hip. And they, it literally took her almost a year for them to order an MRI on her hip. And everyone, they sent her to physical therapy. They tried to give her cortisone. And she said, no, I am telling you, this is the same thing. She came to me and she said, Heather, it's the same thing. And I said, you know what? I know you and I trust you, know your body, and I believe you. And so we did some sort of deductive reasoning and, you know, I did some, you know, traction with it and to see. And lo and behold, every sign pointed to a labral tear, every sign. Well, finally, she goes in and she gets the MRI after she'd been told to sit on the couch and never move again. And then you're talking about a 42-year-old woman, active woman. Just sit on the couch. If it's in pain, don't move. Um, We'll give you pain medication. That's what we can do. Um, We will, you know, we'll replace the hip. You can do physical therapy. Um, But they wouldn't take her knowing her body and, and they wouldn't believe her. And so finally she went in and she got an MRI and they were going to read the results the following Friday. They called her on that Monday and said, please come in. So she came in and they said, you have a labral tear and it is worse than the other side. (laughs) And I said, I hope you dropped the mic and walked out because I, I mean, she'd been crying and fight. It was, it was unbearable to witness this woman go through this. And she knew in her soul, she knew what was happening. And it took so much for them to even find, give her the diagnostic tools to treat her properly. Mm. There's something very dysfunctional about our health system. <laughs> Just 
an FYI. Just FYI, right. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and so her knowing her body is the best gift, and that's what she came to me for. And now I feel, I feel so, she's also going to school to become an acupuncturist now. Um, but I'm so proud of her. You know, mm-hmm. that right there is, I win. I, I, I've done my job. And I, not that I'm not going to still teach her Pilates and do, but she knows her body and she trusts herself. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Heather, uh, is there anything else that, um, you know, you remember from our conversations that was particularly interesting to you? I, um, I really want to talk a little bit about when, uh, what you said about going to the greatest weakness. Right, right. I just feel like that is so um, provocative, mm-hmm. a statement. And, if, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, with, with the time that we have left, I would hate for that one to, yes. to slide by. Yeah. Uh, could you sure. remind uh, me? <laughs> yeah. So one day when I was in the studio with Romana, there was a ballerina, professional ballerina on the reformer next to me. And the reformers in Drago's were very close together. I want to say there was probably, it felt like there was maybe a foot between each one. Maybe there was more room than that, but not much. So you can imagine that we were very close in proximity to each other. And R- Ramana said out loud, right to the right to me, but in front of the girl, she said the girl had um, wrist guards on and she was on the reformer with her wrist guards on and Ramana looked at her, she looked at me and she said to me, you, you will get better. Her, she will never get better. She will <laughs> never take those off of her wrists and she will never get better. But you, you will get better. And I remember putting my nose straight ahead and working even harder. Because <laughs> I didn't want to be that girl. I didn't want to be told that I wouldn't get any better. And what that, how I interpreted that was in order to become whole, that you have to go into your greatest weakness. And that if you don't go into that greatest weakness, then you never know both halves of yourself. Mm. That's that yin yang. You know, you need to know your own dark and your own light. You need to know your weakness and you need to bring it into light. You know, this, this podcast for me is my greatest weakness, Deborah, and you know that. I know, but I thought I'd see what you said. Yeah. Because I was trained as a child that I was to suffer alone and they would take away my mother, my comfort if I was, you know, crying or upset. So I learned to suffer in silence. So sharing with you all is my greatest weakness. Hmm. Heather, um, thank you. Uh, I, I want to just really say how much I appreciate you and your friendship and, um, and your willingness to share with us mm-hmm. um, the, the, whole, the whole idea of, you know, the wrist guards, if they're an analogy, um, for all of us to to be willing to, um, I don't know, what do you call it? You know, really be humble, be humble, accept, accept really where we're at. Yes. I, I, I think this is a very interesting point on so many levels. And I contemplate this a lot, given that we, we live in a culture that promotes this idea that we are, you know, we are all flawed and we are a project to get fixed. And, um, and that if we all, if we do it right, we can have this, um, ongoing development and progress and, um, betterment of ourselves. The industry promotes, um, you know, a vision of health where, you know, you're supposed to be able to be on this constant trajectory of improvement, uh, and um, and it, and it's odd. It's odd because 
the only way out is, the only way out is through right and right. if we mm-hmm. cannot as you say humble ourselves if we cannot actually comfort you use the word comfort hold hold ourselves dear and find the people who can support us and hold us dear and and um and allow those weaknesses to uh to be seen to see the light to come out and be in the light so that they can be healed um then it is this sort of bizarre uh paradox that we're living in where um, where we're kind of pretending, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then there's and then there's this um, this sneaky kind of anxiety that's just always living there in the background that don't really show your true self. Um, and you, to me, are such a beautiful inspiration in that way. Um, then I, I would I would love for us to all be able to to uh, be a little bit more open with each other, be a little bit more accepting of each other and still do the work. See, that's what I, that's what I get from you. It's, it's a, a beautiful combination of all these things. Don't run away from anything, go through it, take off the wrist cards mm-hmm. and, um, and, and keep moving. Uh, my favorite thought for that is when a seedling is just ready to come out of the soil. When that seedling is breaking out of that shell, some people might say that shell is weak. It broke out, right? But that weakness of that shell is what allows that plant to come out and to grow and to become, to get roots and to get solid. And that coming out of the dirt, if you could imagine the plant, you know, crying in pain, it's like us coming out of that greatest weakness. And if we can have the soil and the people around us to support us Mm -hmm. in that greatest weakness, imagine we could be tropical flowers. (laughs) We could be amazing, beautiful blooms. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. It's really so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, vulnerability is what it makes mm-hmm. me think of, you know, right. Being, right. being vulnerable. And I think just to circle back around to, you know, your experience with Romana and, and her demeanor and the way you talk about, you know, your experiences, Heather, and, and it's very clear to me listening to you that you're very grounded in this sense of self and soul and spirit and clear about what it is that you're doing through the body and with movement. And I think it's, it's all just very sweet, right? Because there is a level of vulnerability that we do have to, to kind of expose or, or move into in our, in our own body, right? We see that all the time. We have that experience all the time. Certainly you have had that experience, you know, to the nth degree that most of us end up having that experience in a lifetime. And it's, it speaks to me and it reminds me just of what you were saying earlier about the way you show up for your students, right? That there is, there is some clarity for you about it's not just about exposing or holding safe space, right. For, for experiencing the vulnerability of the body, but it really is the conduit for the student to experience the vulnerability in themselves, in their, you know, to, to like enliven and lighten their soul, their spirit, you know, in that moment. And, and that's, that's like, that's so powerful. I mean, it's so powerful. I, I have a question. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so curious because you do feel so clear in this for yourself and in your teaching. Did you have some intuition um, when you were working with Romana that this, she was speaking to you this way, although maybe not with these words or was it very different and it was, you were translating or interpreting a certain way because you were open to something. 
more than just being healed through the movement? Like what, was she on board with this? She was on board. She, she understood more than I think a lot of people, Mm -hmm. I don't want to say would give her credit for. I think she understood so many different levels of it. I think that she was tired and mm. she was tired of people and they, I want to say tired of their excuses, to be quite frank. Sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, people would come in and make, and, and we know this from our own teaching. People will come in and they'll tell you, well, I can't do this because of this. And, this, and they're making excuse after excuse. After, and it's like, well, just lay down and try it. You haven't even, can't, didn't even try it yet. <laughs> try it. So um, I think that she understood and she understood that I understood. So I deal with people and maybe Chantel, you can sort of feel this from me. Mm-hmm. When I interact with people, I connect with them, really mm-hmm. connect. Mm-hmm. And so that comes through, you know, um, I spent, I, I love Mary Bowen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mary Bowen. And mm-hmm. We spent time together and we literally were neighing and trotting around the studio. (laughs) 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 You know, and, and I mean, it's, it's just that I get to have, I get these, this is my gift from the universe. I get these amazing experiences with these amazing healers and teachers and they get me. And, and I get them and it's, uh, it's a two-way street. Mm. It's a two-way street. So, I, I mean, I do feel so blessed. I had such an incredible relationship with Ramana and I, and I know many people did not have the relationship that I had with her. Sure. Well, I think the fact that you are acknowledging in your experience of her, her fatigue makes yeah. so much sense to me. I mean, I think about my current self and how, you know, I'm listening to you and I feel like, yes, when you, you know, when you are like you or when you are present in the way that Romana was present for the work for so long, you know, there is a moment where, uh, and I am speaking from my own experience where, yes, some people do not get the best of me. And it's unfortunately my poor sweet family. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, because I am tired, like when I am tired, I very honestly, deeply know that I am, you know, unkind and selfish and all these things. I mean, I, it's not that I'm trying to talk badly about myself, but I understand from a very visceral experience and perspective what it is like to be tired, whether you're physically tired or emotionally tired or tired of people's excuses. And I just, I, I think it's really great to hear that, right? And to see that that was not all of who she was. Because I, I do think that it is what, you know, it's kind of like, it is a, um, it's an easy persona for people to latch onto and sh- spread, right? Because she becomes something, right? Mm-hmm. That we, you know, she, she provides a role or she plays a role or she provides like a, a thing that people can talk about in a certain way, right? That just gets perpetuated over time. So it's, it's refreshing. And I was hoping, suspecting that this was what would happen in our conversation today is Mm -hmm. just this sweet, like, you know, that there was more. Mm -hmm. And I think people who worked with her knew that obviously, you know, many of them. I mean, my teacher, Carol Appel worked with Romana and she certainly had stories that were on both sides of that, Mm -hmm. you know, um, interaction. So Mm -hmm. I, it's just, it's lovely. It's lovely. I get it. Totally. Yes. Well, how are you feeling, Heather? I'm doing great. Great. (laughs) I'm doing great. I am a bit on the speechless side at this point. I, I'm personally very gratified that we had this opportunity. I'm, I'm so proud of myself for inviting you onto the podcast. (laughs) Um, and I'm also, I'm sitting here giggling a little bit 
I keep, I have three pages of notes and, you know, in front of me, everyone that uh, has heard me on these podcasts knows that's how I do it. I sit there and I take notes and try to keep my brain together. And so I'm going back and forth and back and forth to all the pages of notes. And, you know, we've covered it all. Um, it's, uh, it's just beautiful. And, um, I just, I thank you so much. And I want to ask you in this moment, if there's anything else that you would like to say, and then, you know, typically, uh, what we're doing this season is, is really contemplating, uh, you know, with everything that is happening in our world, what is it that we celebrate and how do we celebrate this human, precious, precious human life that we have? And I think that, you know, in a way, your whole time with us today has, has been a reflection on celebration. Absolutely. But, you know, if there's anything else that specifically you'd like to say, I'd sure love to hear it. I think that, I think that we need to celebrate joy because we aren't guaranteed tomorrow. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. So like today, it's eight degrees below zero and the wind is whipping like you couldn't even believe. And you know, my lovely dog, he wanted to go for a walk. So we went to the ocean and it was so windy that he started running and all I thought was, it makes him feel like he can fly. So I put out my arms and I said, we're flying. And we both ran in the wind, in the sub below freezing weather. And I thought, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Is that, you know, every day that you are above ground, you need to celebrate. <laughs> Amen. What an absolutely wonderful conversation to have. It's been a little while since we've heard a story and talked to um, a teacher about their path and coming to the work and exploring the work and how that's manifesting currently in their teaching. So I'm so fortunate, feel so fortunate and grateful to have had Heather and Deborah on the show. You can find out a little bit more about Heather in the show notes, but we will give you a little background here. She is the owner of Liquid Movement Pilates Studio in Duxbury, Massachusetts. She is also expecting a wonderful article coming out in Pilates Style Magazine, so look for that. And Heather also has an awesome project coming up called Tenacious Spirit, which is a podcast. So I'm sure you'll hear more about that from us here. As always, we are thrilled to hear your feedback and we love to know that you're enjoying the podcast. So if you are, um, consider taking a second right now to get onto iTunes and leaving us a review. That would just make our day. Before we go, we have some special things to tell you about. And first is our season sponsor, Momentum Fest. Momentum Fest is founded by Jessica and Brian Vallant. Momentum Fest is a brand new festival in celebration of Pilates and movement. The festival takes place in Denver, Colorado this coming June 22nd through 24th, 2018. And it's going to be held at the Omni Interlochen Hotel in Broomfield, Colorado. Now you can find out all the details on Momentum Fest at MomentumFest.com. Pretty simple. They've got some awesome opportunities. Still looking for some teachers to fill their schedule. They have a wonderful volunteer and ambassador program. And of course, you can also become a sponsor or a vendor of the festival. Really, really looking forward to this experience and um, from the buzz that I've heard and from conversations that I've had with other teachers, it's going to be just one big, giant, good time around movement and celebrating being in the body and moving in all kinds of wonderful ways. Some of the teachers that they have on their lineup include our very own James Crater. So check them out, MomentumFest.com. I really think getting on the bandwagon for being a volunteer or an ambassador is a brilliant way to get involved a little bit beyond just buying tickets and showing up. So check out those opportunities and we'll be hearing more about Momentum Fest in the episodes to come. Check out our revamped website 
at thinkingpilates.com. You can learn more about uh, all the other things that we're up to and our individual projects and businesses, skillful teaching, evolved body studio, physical thinking, and all of that good stuff on the website as well. If you're interested in exploring how to become an expert teacher and not just an expert in technique or special populations, the Science and Psychology of Teaching Master's program is a wonderful and rich curriculum that I've co-created with my colleague Ann Bishop of Body Brain Connect. And we are about to embark on our second year of the program. It starts early February. But the thing I wanted to tell you about is that we just released a very cool free educational video series, and I'd love to share that with you. We've included a link in the show notes so that you can access the series really easily. But again, if you happen to be on the Skillful Teaching website, just go check out the master's program and you can get everything you need there, including information about a special one-on-one consultation opportunity that we're offering. James and Deborah and I all have a really wacky and varied travel schedule coming up for 2018. So you can learn more about where we're going to be in the world by checking out the show notes on thinkingpilates.com. I think that for now is quite enough about all of us. Just one final huge big gratitude for all of you for listening, for making what we do possible. Until next time.